Hi there, this is Dan Delta Collins. You're listening to Wandering DMs. Wandering DMs is broadcast live every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time on twitch.tv slash wanderingdms and also youtube.com slash wanderingdms. And now, enjoy the show. Hi everyone, welcome to Wandering DMs. I'm Paul. And I'm Dan, and on this episode of Wandering DMs, we're going to talk about vampires. One of those, the, what, possibly the most powerful undead type in original D&D, and we're wondering how, how we have used them and how you, the viewers, have used them. Are they the best as the, the big bad in your campaign, or do, you just, do they randomly show up in a dungeon? Uh, all about vampires today on this October episode of Wandering DMs. <laughs> so I interesting that you worded it that way, Dan, because I was looking at uh, some of the entries of vampires in different editions of D&D, &D, and uh, one of the consistent things is that specific call-out of the AD&D uh, first edition monster manual says that they're the most dreaded of chaotic evil undead, and uh, Expert uh, BX set tells us that they're the most feared of the undead, period, most feared. Yeah, yeah. You can see that in early materials. You can see like players going way out of their way to find ways to defend themselves against vampires. And clearly, in in original D and D, they were the top of the end. They were the they were the top tier undead monster, no doubt about it. And they uh, kind of just they kind of just break the game at that level in some point. So a lot of players were, in fact, really really worried about them. And I I can't remember where I saw it, but I saw somebody designing like a specialized magic item that was the the collar of vampire protection just trying to protect just try just one item with nothing but trying to protect yourself from vampire bites. oh, oh it doesn't doesn't protect uh doesn't protect vampires it protects you from vampires i see, I see. correct uh, so a call out here in the chat which is actually uh something i'm looking at right now which is that the video seems to be labeled 10 dead rats season four episode eight sorry everyone that's obviously a mistake this is not 10 dead rats uh, <laughs> interesting though, um, because uh, vampires play a big role in Pendant Rats, and so yet another reason for us to discuss <laughs> vampires. That's true. We'll be we'll be fixing some stuff in post. Sorry about that labeling. I'm gonna I'm gonna, I'm gonna fix that live right now because okay because okay. I can. <laughs> we have that okay. We have that capacity. Uh, so yeah. you know, one thing we might start as as Paul's fixing that. Um, you know, one one question in my mind is like, where do we get our pulp influences of vampires? And you know, so for many of us, uh, we like to say we're people of the book, and we're looking at literary influences or mythological influences. But on the other hand, this might be a case where the tradition of D&D vampires very much comes out of uh, movies, 20th century movies, like Hammer horror films and stuff like that. Now me, okay, I wasn't a big horror movie guy, frankly. So for me, I would say that my sensibility of vampires do come out of literary influences. For example, I recently read uh, David Madison's Tower of Darkness short story, where some fantasy heroes go into a city and there's a temple that only operates at night and spoiler alert the whole thing is just a bunch of vampires preying on people in the city 
Um, and big thanks to Peter Bebergall's uh, Appendix N anthology for, for bringing that to our attention. Before that, I really adored, probably in college, I got John Steakley's Vampires novel, that's Vampires ending with a dollar sign, about a bunch of modern day mercenaries who hunt down and kill vampires for pay. Um, and that got late. I like that novel a lot. Um, that later got turned into a movie directed by John Carpenter starring James Woods, um, which uh, kind of starts out similar and then has a very different ending to it. Um, so, Paul, let's, where, let's, when you think about... Yeah, I was, was going to say, let's not forget um, the, the various gaming influences. That's where my head went first, is okay. you know the, the first big RPG I was aware of that was not D&D was, of course, Vampire the Masquerade. Very big when I was in right. uh, okay. I've heard college. Of that. Um, yeah, yeah. It's a whole, whole RPG just about vampires. Right. Um, right. right. You've got the, um, right. uh, uh, you've got the, uh, um, oh, geez, the, uh, the, the movies, uh, the intended Twilight. Banderas movie. Twilight. Uh, that's not what I was thinking of. Oh, God, really? <laughs> oh, shit. Thank you. Really? Thank you. <laughs> uh, I was thinking of Interview with a Vampire, which I, I, my head was still in the 90s. There, right. right? And, uh, uh, God, what's her name, right? What is your uh, name? Right, based on the based on the based on the books uh, right. by uh, Anne. Come on, brain. Pick it in here. <laughs> sheesh, sheesh. <laughs> uh, uh. The funny thing is, I read one. I read one of, I read the sequel to um, Interview with a Vampire, actually, like the Vampire Queen or something like that. Rice, rice. thank you, everybody. Rice, there we go. Oy. Oy. The research team races to the line on that. Thank you so much, man. Oh, rice. Boy. See, I wanted oh, to say Anne McCaffrey, which obviously was going to be a yeah, that's, terrible, that's, embarrassing that's, that's, thing, and I shouldn't have just said it right now. What am I doing? <laughs> God. Uh, give that. Um, and, and then I'll also point out, you know, uh, again, I was referring to Ten Dead Rats, uh, which has vampires in it. They, they, and, and of course, Ten Dead Rats is based in the Warhammer world, where Vampire Counts is an entire army in the, in the uh, it's like the major undead army line in Warhammer. Um, there's actually a secondary undead one that's more Egyptian themed. Um, but uh, yeah, you get a lot of, a lot of, a lot of vampire stuff in, uh, in Warhammer. So uh, yeah, all that. All that, I don't know. It's very, you know, very confused, I suppose. Like, isn't, isn't, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, Dan, but isn't the, like, origin of the clerical turn undead ability, that sort of classic trope of holding up the cross to the vampire and having it back away? That's that's how I would read that. Uh, that's totally yeah. how I would yeah. read that. Yeah. And it, it, you've, you've tapped into a really interesting vein there, Paul, because, um, you know, undead are... Um, you know, terribly, um, I mean, among the reasons in, in classic D&D why they're so scary is that they drain your levels. And, of course, you get to things like whites or wraiths, and they're draining one level per hit. And then vampires drain two levels every time they hit you. Um, uh, just like, you, oh, you're sixth level? Well, now you're fourth level, and now you're second level two rounds later. It's, that's, that's crushing. So, yeah, the, the clerical turning ability to try to hold that off um, uh, very much feels like that. And there are, you know, there are some people that say actually the entire cleric class was fundamentally inspired by Dracula's arch enemy Van Helsing, 
that the original the original idea for the cleric class was was really we need we want a Van Helsing character in the game specifically to fight against <laughs> vampires. So to some extent, the blame for the cleric class falls squarely on the head of our vampires. Um, let me let me let me dig in a little bit here uh, because this is this is something I found surprising while I was preparing for right. And, and Ash was I see Ash saying this kind of the same thing in the chat, so thank you for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So here, here's, uh, here's here's the text uh, from my first edition monster manual uh, on vampires, uh, most dreaded of the chaotic evil undead, which I find a really interesting call out because does that mean there's like a different most dreaded of lawful evil undead or like do, do i have to classify by alignment here when i think of my undead or all undead chaotic evil now i'm not sure um anyway in that game <laughs> yes in, in that game there's clearly no lawful and there's clearly no good undead so uh, okay that's, that's so it's an interesting it it's an interesting that's an interesting Somebody's point of redundancy by the word. <laughs> so, uh, here's here's an interesting thing. So I was looking at this, and you have you have there's there's a lot of stuff that we get with vampires, right? They're intelligent undead, um, so they have all the undead rules, and then often a lot of intelligent, you know, humanoid rules where you get stuff like like possibly a spell casting ability or, or stuff like that. Um, actually, I can't remember if AD and D uh, vampires actually had spell casting ability, but. Um, and then you have like all of the like classic tropes of, of weaknesses of a vampire, right? That, that they're, you know, sunlight causes them damage, maybe running water causes them damage, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So anyway, I was looking, I was looking at my AD and D, I'm getting back to my point here. I was looking at my AD and D text on the vampire. And then the second column, uh, tells me vampires recoil from strong garlic, the face of a mirror or a cross or several other holy symbols of lawful good. If any of these objects are presented boldly. Note, however, that none of these devices harm or drive the monster off. They do cause a vampire to hesitate one to four rounds before attacking. In the case of garlic, a mirror holy symbol will cause a vampire to position itself, so the object's not between the vampire and its intended victim. Why are there a whole set of special rules here for the holding up of the cross? Isn't that what Turn Undead is meant to be? What's going on here? Why do I need a separate set of rules to special case the entire thing that inspired Turn Undead? Yes. Exactly. <laughs> what? I'm so, totally so all, that, so all that stuff is directly in the text of original D&D, you know, in 1974. So those are those are bits and pieces that were written right from the very inception of D&D. And I, 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 I will once again use our friend John Peterson's uh, idiom of these things were reckoned loosely at the time <laughs> of... Uh, yeah, you know, and, and I and I wonder like how were those mechanics handled? So yeah. the specifics of exactly what the garlic is doing uh, aren't spelled out, and the specifics of how do you know that you've successfully held the cross up um, Oops. strongly aren't spelled out. Uh, apologies, I've accidentally jumped the, uh, the the entry here to the the expert set of the VX entry with our nice Willingham art there of vampires, which right. is an interesting comparison point. Um, right. for vampires, I think. Um, anyway, uh, fascinating. Yeah, uh, pointed out in the chat, uh, not everyone's a cleric. So, of course, giving them this extra weakness to uh, holy symbols held aloft means your fighter Great. can do it, right? Great point. Great point. Yes. Yeah. Yes, yes. That's yeah. a great point. <laughs> and... And uh, if you're playing in Dan's campaign, no one's a cleric. <laughs> yes, correct, correct, William. Yep. 
Yep. So, uh, fact, <laughs> That's really this is one, of one chance, one chance to turn on dead in, or have a turn on dead like ability in Dan's campaign is to uh, buy a holy symbol and hold it up to a vampire. Great. This is, that is, this is a really weird <laughs> moment for me of having a light bulb go off, realize that there's a, there actually is a point that I hadn't considered about that. <laughs> that could actually happen my game. That's a bad idea. There wow! See, boy, Gary was thinking way ahead, Paul. He was thinking yeah, way yeah. ahead. You, you think that was, he was prepared for someday someone is going to play without clerics, and I want to make sure. Oh, you know what's going on is uh, sorry, the, the, the timer is set here. Yeah, it's just changing on me. Sorry, but you our, know, our images that, were set to auto that, advance. There we go. <clears throat> go on. That might actually suggest a theory that maybe that text that we're looking at here was written before clerics. Um, and, you know, if I go back to what is identified as the uh, Beyond This Point Be Dragons, which we think is, we're pretty sure is a pre-publication draft of D&D, all that same language is in there. Uh, mm -hmm. So our clerics at that point, but right sitting here right this second, one had to come before the other, and maybe that text for vampires came first. Of course, Dave Arneson was playing uh, originally with chainmail rules that don't have clerics. They have heroes and they have wizards, but clerics hadn't been invented yet. So, um, mm. you know, maybe vampires uh, such as Sir Fang, which uh, some, some of our viewers remind us about in, in Dave Arneson's Blackmore campaign, came first, uh, wrote that text, and then uh, some player said, I really want a Van Helsing-like cleric character. Or maybe the clerics came and the, the turning came later. Mm. Our, our, our research team in the chat that. is is just is just nailing it here and pointing out by the way that <laughs> mummies mummies are lawful evil Dan so there you go oh there is a lawful D &D if you want to be a philistine <laughs> we were looking at the AD and D entry right here which is the one that calls out that they're the most feared well of the I was trying to be evil. polite I was <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to be oh, polite. No. Um, but uh, they're, they're chaotic in original D&D, &D, right? Um, uh, yeah, they're you chaotic, used... chaotic in original D&D. &D. That's, that's what we're okay. looking for. Oh, D&D, &D, just chaotic. Always just chaotic. Great. Interesting. Yeah, <laughs> that would be pretty weird. That's a, um, geez, that's a good point. Huh. Have you used vampires much, Dan? Have you, have you put many vampires in your games? Not a heck of a lot. Um, I have, or not, not that the players have actually run into. I'll put it that mm -hmm. way. Mm -hmm. So I have, mm -hmm. I've had vampires in my campaigns and I haven't had players run into them too much. And I, I kind of wonder what will happen in those cases because they have such a deep list of powers that the players are unlikely to be able to overcome. I totally, I mean, I got to admit, I myself as DM a little leery about running them against the players because I think it's like quite likely to be a TPK all the time. Interesting, interesting. I feel like for me, vampires show up in campaigns in one of sort of two dramatically different ways. Mm -hmm. One is as a as as the the absolute horror of a monster that it is presented here pretty boldly for us in the monster manual of like it just has all these powers and uh, it lives. I think it, it, it I think it even tells us that they live someplace weird. Is that right? That they uh, am I remembering this correctly? Maybe I'm maybe I'm jumping back and forth here a little bit to the. Uh, uh, the BX entry. I'm going to jump back on over to that guy. Um, uh, anyway, uh, I'm getting I'm getting lost here. Um, point being, 
Um, you could run it sort of as that as a horrible, horrible monster, just like out to suck blood and destroy uh, players. Uh, or you can also play them as your sort of more social, uh, you know, uh, you know, sexy vampire, right? You're sort of your vampire who's here to uh, hide itself in among society and be scary, but in that sort of like, you know, in plain sight kind of way. And it's there to, uh, you know, maybe seduce your player characters or otherwise, uh, you know, bring them into into drama. Um, wondering you, you, you now, know, this, yeah, this is a, this on. is an interesting aspect of of the pop culture that you could do either, and yeah. uh, and, and obviously you could do either. And I know that um, you know, obviously a vampire has a fairly large role on your Ten Dead Rats uh, uh, campaign, um, which is awesome. On the other hand, um, like I remember I was uh, I was rooming with our friend BJ, actually, uh, one of the years we went to Gen Con. And I remember very distinctly, this was the time when the Twilight movies were getting were, were coming out and getting a lot of attention. And mm -hmm. I remember BJ turning to me at some point, just furious. He was just furious. And he was and, and I think I think what he said to me was um, uh, vampires shouldn't be attractive. They should be destroyed. Um, and I'm like, strong argument, strong argument, Mr. Johnson. I'm going to remember that. Destroyed. And that's yeah. actually one of the themes of the John Steakley Vampires book that kind of has influenced me is specifically that the, the uh, even, even though that was written circa 1990 or whatever, um, even though vampires portray themselves as these sexy entities, uh, that's actually uh, uh, purely... Uh, hypnotic fakery, and if you really actually look at them objectively, they're these horrible, decrepit, mm. uh, these horrible, decrepit things instead. And you've got to drag them into the sunlight and burn them because there's nothing else you can possibly do with them. Um, and I tend to lean so you know those are my influences, frankly, and I tend to lean towards mm. this truly disgusting uh, parasite type interpretation. Mm. Um, hmm. and that's the way I would, that's the way I would personally go in my games. You know, what's that movie with, um, um, God, I knew I was, this was going to come up and I was going to forget the director's name, uh, 1991-ish, uh, Dracula movie, uh, directed by, <clears throat> I think, uh, the gentleman who directed Godfather. Um, so it's, it's called... Okay. Brom, yeah. like Brom Stroker's Dracula was the name of the right. movie. Right. Yep. 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 And they do the same thing. They do the same flip flop. Right. So sometimes you see him looking very human and very attractive, and then it flips, and he looks really disgusting yep. in other shots. Um, and so I kind of uh, that's that's kind of my sensibility is that the the attractiveness is fake, and the reality mm. is something really gross. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Um, yeah, fascinating. It's definitely, I will say that in 10 Dead Rats, the presence of vampires came about in a very interesting and unusual way. First of all, it's worth pointing out that in Warhammer Fantasy, you have the Vampire Counts, which is a whole army, a whole section. There's a whole chunk of lore in Warhammer about vampires. In fact, I'll even chuck this up here. There's a whole book on them. There's the Night Stark Masters, which is all about the different kinds of vampires that live in the Warhammer world. And there's a large, large variety of them drawing on all kinds of uh, different influences. Um, and um, 
the original impetus and 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 people who watch <laughs> 10 dead rats may know that that uh count orlock shows up very early in the game uh it's just it's not he has nothing to do with the enemy within campaign that as written except that it's based on uh a a random encounter in the second book of the enemy within it has this just sort of like here's some random things that can happen to your players while they're traveling on the river and there's this idea of count orlock and here i'll show a little a little snippet from that book okay um you basically you have a, a a guy who's you know just a merchant and he's on a boat and he's shipping around and he's got these he's got this crew and they have a big box in the hold and they don't know what's in it and it turns out there's a vampire in it and that's count orlock and um and the funny thing is, the way it's presented is that it's like kind of like a little mystery for the players to solve of just like, oh, my, my crew keeps getting sick. I don't know what's going on. And the players can kind of dig into that if they want. And there's and it's it's a really well-written little encounter. It's a page long. And, it, and it's just this nice little encounter of like, well, maybe the players will try to figure out what's going on. And maybe they'll encounter the vampire. Maybe they won't. And maybe the vampire will get actually end up getting shipped to where it meant to get shipped. And then a plague a, a mysterious plague will break out in that town, right? Because there's this vampire there living there now. But I think generally the text kind of assumes the players will probably figure it out and kill the vampire relatively easily, I think, right? Mm -hmm. The assumption is that even though um, even though vampires are, are horrific killers in this game, that, like, by figuring out that it is a vampire, that's the interesting part of the mystery. And then once you know that, like, pretty easy to just haul the stinking thing up onto the, up onto the deck during the day and open the box and you're done. <laughs> right. Also running water and you're on a river. Like there's just a lot of ways you could, you could just horrifically kill Count Orlock very quickly. Um, so I threw him in there and, um, and the players let him out and uh, they had a little encounter with him and, and it got a little bloody and then off he flew. Like he escaped. They, 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 they got him down to like not many wounds left. And so he turned to a bat and flew away. And then he became a recurring character in my game, partly because of the influence of Matt Berry. So uh, here's another uh, great vampire influence for you, which I, I think is great, especially if you like humor in your game, uh, which which is um, the uh, uh, the movie and then the subsequent television show, What We Do in the Shadows, uh, which involves a bunch of... It's basically presented as a mockumentary you know, camera crew following around a group of modern-day vampires and uh and just the the ridiculousness of the idea of a situation of vampires actually living in 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 modern new york um <laughs> uh, it's, it's pretty funny I, I definitely recommend it um and, and matt barry is a personal favorite so so i just started invoking him into this count orlock character so the the odd thing for me in that campaign is that i wasn't trying to present vampires as good but nor uh, are they the the most evil thing in the campaign? Mm -hmm. There's much worse things in the campaign. So, yeah. and the players aren't the nicest people, right? In my game, my players are right. pretty morally ambiguous. Right. So, like them deciding to kind of have an uneasy truce with the vampires and and each group kind of use each other as they see fit, kind of worked. It just kind of worked, and that's and so it's become this ongoing shtick of them, of the players and the vampires. Kind of both being like, well, these guys are way worse, and we should probably stop. You know, these cultists and demons and stuff are, are a problem, so we should probably work together on that one. <laughs> and otherwise, we'll try to manipulate each other to our own ends. 
That's great. So that's great. Yeah, yeah. But I think I was, I was strongly influenced by what we do in the shadows, and then also some of the stuff like what you mentioned of uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula, right? Where, where right. I like having right. those. I like having more of those social situations in the game where, like, here's a you know this Ouch. is a horrific monster, but right now he's in plain sight, and like maybe that's I don't know. Maybe you don't. Maybe you don't want to like fight him right in the middle of the town square right now. Yeah, you there's a lot of value under that. Yeah, yeah, he's a funny character. Right. Definitely a, a, a sort of uh, improv yes and a lot of yes and moments that, that made that character into an important part of our game. Um, but this, there's there's so many tropes about vampires and there's stuff I've had to work around. Like, you know, the ability to, like, can they, are they killed by sunlight, right? That's like a classic. They're killed by sunlight. And like, unless yeah. you're going to set right. your whole game at night, what do you do about that? Personally, I ended up inventing a magic item because what the heck, we're in a fantasy role-playing game. Why wouldn't vampires invent magic items to uh, get around their get around their uh, their weaknesses? So they have some Good magic point. glasses that block out the sun. Good point. And there's there's many examples of that in the literature, and some of us in the chat were talking about how in uh, Bram Stoker's uh, Dracula novel, um, uh, Dracula could go out in the daytime. Um, uh, maybe he didn't have the entire capacity of his powers available then, but he could go out in the daytime. And that actually kind of makes sense for like, how are you going to disguise yourself super well if you literally never go out in the sunlight? That seems like that would be like a pretty immediate cue that something's yeah. up. And um, apparently we think that uh, the Nosferatu movie was the first time that the sunlight immediately killing them uh, came into play. And if I didn't, if I didn't misread him, Ash is saying Count Orlock originally comes from the Nosferatu movie. Was that act literally a character in the movie? Oh, it could be. I mean, he's called Count Orlock in the book. I didn't make that yeah. name up myself. Right, right, sure, so, sure. So, I mean, the original Nosferatu movie was a silent film, wasn't it? So, I think so. Yeah, uh, right. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, maybe there's a maybe there's a title card in there somewhere where they refer to him as Count right. Orlock. I don't know. It's interesting. Anytime, in any time, in any any film, any character does does this, like rises without bending, right? I always call it the Nos Nosferatu move because <laughs> I, I believe that's yeah. how, that's the first appearance of the vampire in the Nosferatu movie. Fascinating, yeah, yeah. fascinating. Thank you, Ash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Super cool. You know, one of the things I, I noticed in in that Warhammer block is that's again in old school gaming, that's a really small stat block. That was. That was like 10 numbers and then one yeah. sentence. And think about how much gaming value you've gotten in Paul in Ted Dand Rats out of that <laughs> that one inch that's, by three inch stat block. That's amazing. I mean, that, that stat block, that, that's okay. just a snippet from the overall encounter. That's maybe a quarter of the pay of the one page on, on the encounter, right? So there's, those are the stat blocks and then there's maybe a couple gotcha. paragraphs of text about it. Gotcha. But yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. It is, is very open and it's a really well-written encounter, I think, because again, it doesn't, prescribe any outcome, right? It just thinks of this clever idea of, you know, what if someone tried to ship a vampire without the, the crew of a boat knowing that that's what they're carrying, right? So right. what if we stick a vampire in a, in a box and, and you know, <clears throat> have them ship down the That's river. really interesting. So that so our so our, our, our crack research team is 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 everybody's confirming that. And I thought that I I thought I'd seen the movie Nosferatu, but I could not remember the name of the vampire. And uh, among other people there, William is saying uh, Count Orlock was the main character in the Nosferatu movie, and the move the movie was ordered destroyed on copyright grounds 
I guess because they thought they were infringing on Dracula. Fascinating. Fascinating. What what great what great pedigree that is, Paul. (laughs) (laughs) Now again, you you know, the 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 the, um, portrayal in Nosferatu is that's a really ugly character. Um, That is not an attractive, sexy character at all. Um, So it's kind of interesting, again, how those things have had the rough edges shaved off or re, you know, reinterpreted over the years. Like many things, obviously. Um, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think even in like, I feel like that's the thing that's played oh. within the Bram Stoker's Dracula movie, right? Of sort of the different levels of like, you know, this character is supposed to be like really attractive and exciting, but is like kind of gross and old and has weird hair and long fingernails right. and stuff. Right. Um, so here's an interesting thing. Like, how do we see this play out in D&D? Uh, in our D and D stat blocks, of course, we get the ability for uh, charm effects, right? Our vampires can charm, right, right, uh, through through their gaze. Um, and I just want to compare this one a little bit. Yep. And again, yep. I'm, I'm kind of going to look at across a couple editions here. But let's crack open the AD and D edition again, just for uh, just for a starting point. Um, this tells me. Um, can I find it? Um, Looking for the charming. Yeah, the charming. Where is that one in here? Um, I think in AD and D it tells me that that uh, they have a gaze that uh, causes uh, basically the same effect as a charm person. There it is. Um, if it gazes in a person's eyes, the vampire yeah. will have the effect of charming, with the victim subtracting two from the save for the person's magic. They behave as if they've been successfully struck with a charm person spell, um, which is interesting. I don't know that that brings up the whole question of like. What does it mean if if they gaze into a person's eyes? Is that an action? Right. Is the vampire actively doing that, or yep. is it like a basilisk where I have to like shield my eyes and not look at the vampire, or I'm going to be charmed at any minute? Not totally clear, frankly, at least from the the AD and D description. Um, yeah, and all those kinds of things. You know, if you look at if you get an opportunity to look at the the original D and D description, right? You know, again, those things were writ- written really. Bring that one up on screen. We have that one. We have that one, yeah. right? Can I put that one? On my number at, one. Uh, this one? Right. There you go. Totally. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So, um, so the, uh, but halfway down, yep. uh, it says, it's underlined there. It says they charm yep. men types merely by looking into their eyes, treat as a charm person spell with a minus two on their saving throw. Yep. So all yep. the same questions are there uh, about the, how do you, um, Exactly. How do you determine whether they've been immersed in running water? How do you determine whether you've hit them in the heart with a stake? We don't have any specific mechanics for any of that. And that's how the game was originally written. It was, yeah. uh, you know, kind of like our one hour dungeon, Paul. We, it was intentionally left quite a lot for the DM to determine at the time. I will say that in, in my margin, I personally have decided that it does have to take an action and that the vampire does have to pick one person. Uh, to target right. with it, and I, to me, I feel like that represents the I'm trying to, uh, I- you know, enchant one particular possibly romantic victim at a time, and not like enslave a dozen people all at once. So personally, I, I do actually require them to target one person at a time. Let me let me pop up the expert set because, of course, my 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 main entry point here is is BX D and D, and I find this really fascinating because it's a little different here. Uh, what BX tells me is a vampire may also attempt to charm anyone who gazes into its eyes, 
Victim must save her spells to avoid the charm with minus two and penalty on the roll. Charm victim will be totally under the vampire's control, but cannot use spells or magic. No mention of the charm person spell here. An interesting qualifier of they can't use spells or magic, but they're totally under the vampire's control. Like, hmm. Fascinating. I don't know why it gets this special treatment in in the X. Yeah, the um, that's well. I mean, we've talked, we've had the debate over over charm many times before about how powerful is charm supposed to be. So yeah. I think that's partly reflective of when they originally wrote charm person, the first level spell in original D anD D. It said completely under the influence of a caster, and then as time went on, they tried to dial that down. But then the problem is that they had it connected into these monster abilities like vampires and nixies and and dryads and things like that. Um, and they wanted they wanted to keep the total influence for the monsters, but they wanted to take out the total influence for the, for the first level spell. And I think you're seeing this kind of split there. And they say the same thing in um, Gary's first edition Dungeon Master's Guide is the place where he has to say. Charm person, the spell is not the same thing as charm person, the monster ability. Charm person for monsters yeah. like vampires is total control, but charm person for players that's something different. So, I think that's emblematic of them trying to trying to split that ability there. Fascinating, fascinating. Yeah. Do you like that, Paul? Do you like vampires having total control, um, or does that seem? overpowered or um, a violation of player uh, integrity? <laughs> well, for me, it's not... Uh, I like to, you know, I like to play into this trope of them being this seductive creature. So right. Um, right. I, I prefer a sort of, you know, glassy-eyed, mesmerized kind of effect um, where, the, where the, you know, do they have total control? Um, eh. Uh, I'd like it a little more gray, I guess, than that. A little more gray. Okay. But again, I'm more using it in social situations rather than just like we're fighting the vampire and he's going to give up his attack this round to go charm one of the one of his opponents to help. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah, and uh, you yeah. know, Despero in the chat is reminding us, and and of course he's right that um, in the BX rules there by Mold Van Cook, um, the even the charm person spell had this extra language inserted saying that a charmed caster can't use their spells or magic, just like you're seeing in the vampire entry here. So they're being consistent about that. And that was a point of debate. I've seen, on the other hand, I've seen Frank Mentzer really kick back against that and say, this is a really core part of all my games that uh, charming enemy spellcasters and then using them as artillery was like a large part of the action in my dungeons all the time. So he was really not happy about that ruling actually. I guess I brought it up mainly just because I find it interesting that, that, that the expert version specifically doesn't refer back to the charm person spell, whereas AD&D does. That's mm-hmm. yeah. interesting. Um, uh, have you um, have you had to adjudicate any of these gray area things in, in, in actual games, Dan? Have you had vampire fights where players have had to have tried to like submerse a vampire in running water or stab them in the heart with a, with a stake? Not a or... long time. Not not in yeah. a long time, and so I my what I what I did years ago may not be exactly the same thing as I would do nowadays. As a matter of fact, mm-hmm. but um, have you have you recently? I've uh, in most of the encounters I've run, typically those things don't come out until the end. 
right? That like they usually battle the vampire into submission, right? Where the okay. vampire is so okay. beat up that it turns back okay. into a gas and retreats to its uh, uh, to its home, to its coffin, and reforms there to regenerate. And then the players like bust in, and you know, at that point, it's like, yeah, he's right there. I mean, pretty easy to just jam the you know stake into his heart or. You know, in the case of, uh, I think in 10 Dead Rats, there was some talk of like, well, let's just chuck the whole box over the over the edge into the river. I'm like, that's pretty obviously submersed in running water. Like, <laughs> there's not, not much debate to be had there. Um, you know, so usually for me, it's it's not come up in like a round to round combat situation where I have to say like, well, does this count? Um, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, Personally, I think, I mean, I, since it's in the text, I think I would be prone to allowing like a penalized attack roll to actually one-shot them. Um, yeah. They are, yeah, yeah, I will say this, you know, the one thing we haven't talked about is, is so when I um, did my, uh, you know, monster assessment, so for uh, OED on my site, oedgames.com, I have the monster database, uh, which is, you know, my interpret my attempt at interpreting these kinds of gray areas actually in original D and D as best I can, and then running it through a massive simulator to estimate exactly how dangerous any particular monster is. And I don't I don't call it challenge ratings, as generally nobody likes that, but I call them equivalent hit die ratings. And for the monsters in the Little Brown Books original D and D, vampires came out as the most dangerous type of any monster. Hmm. Uh, and well, it came out. Go. They came out to uh, f- about forty, about forty equivalent hit dice. So they're worth worth about forty hit dice, and that is more in the in the little brown books at least. You know, this is before liches get invented. Um, that's more than purple worms. That's more than hydras. It's more than large elementals. Um, and on average, it's even worse than dragons. <clears throat> so the average vampire according to my stats, is, is more dangerous than the average dragon in D&D. But the main wow. reason for that is their summons ability. So they have that summons ability whereby they can summon at whim a score of wolves or a hundred giant rats or something like that. Um, yep. And that, like all this, you think you're fighting a vampire, but you're not. You're fighting a whole army one round later. Um so granted their their incredible peril like that, I think I would be prone to actually, you know, use the text that's there to also give them those weaknesses, which are very unusual and possibly allow uh, a character in the right place to actually one shot them with like a, an attack roll at minus four or something like that. Is that crazy? Am I going to regret that? I don't know. I don't know. Let me, uh, here's, here's an interesting counterpoint, Dan. Let's because we haven't looked at this yet, but uh, here's the 5e entry for Vampire, Oof. which, as we can see, is quite <laughs> long. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff going on in here. But one, some of the stuff I found very interesting in here is uh, a lot of the stuff just gets turned into into damage. You know, the, the whole, like, sunlight or running water just as well causes okay. this much damage. Okay. So they just, yep, yep. just lean into the, like, they have hit points. Let's just cause some damage. But let me read you the stakes of the heart entry. It tells me, if a piercing weapon made of wood is driven into the vampire's heart while the vampire is incapacitated in its resting place, the vampire is okay. paralyzed until the stake is removed. Okay. Uh, so not only not only is it qualified, you can't do it unless they're incapacitated and in their resting place. Right. And all it does right. is paralyze them. It's still not killing right. them. You still got to get them out into the right. sun or shove them into water or something. Right. 
Right, right. So that's a that's a change from classic D anD D where it clearly said you stake them and they're killed. Um, yep. Where does yep. that come from in pulp literature? Like I feel like, or where, where does that come in pop culture? Like I feel I've had this like scene of open up the coffin and there's a vampire with a stake through the heart and then some idiot removes it and then you've got problems. Where, where am I thinking of that's had that kind of thing? Mm, I don't know. Can't. Uh... <laughs> uh, yeah, not, not sure. Uh, yeah, I, I couldn't tell you. It's fascinating. Now, of course, as I mentioned, the, the, the summons, of course, John Miller is asking the obvious next question of what are the stats of 100 rats or bats in original D&D? Because that's not given either. Yeah. And, of course, you're right. Uh, and, you know, neither are the wolves. They're not given the little brown books either. Um, so, of course, there's this one entry in the monster listing that just says small animals and the, ver the stats all say variable. So once again, the, the DM has to, on the fly, um, adjudicate or come up with stats for these animals that they're summoning. In my monster database, see, that's one of those things that I had to nail down. So in my monster database, um, I, took the, I took the stats from rats in uh, AD&D Monster Manual 2, and I used those, mm -hmm. matter of fact. Okay. And okay. maybe that's maybe that's a mistake. So that's a place where one one could debate what one should do. I actually yeah. don't do a swarm type thing. Uh, my my database actually does have you fighting a hundred individual rats. <laughs> so maybe that's where the, maybe that's why they're so he's... dangerous in my system. Um, just really interestingly, uh, I'm trying to look at the in the. Yeah, in the expert rules, we get 10 to 100 rats or 5 mm -hmm. to 20 giant rats, if you want. Um, by 5th edition, we're down to 2d4 rats. Oh, but there's swarms. What? Swarms of bats oh, or I rats. Okay. So maybe they're 2d4 swarms, and maybe that's they're relying right. on just using the swarm mechanic. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. When Gary and and, and the, the the ten to one hundred is right in the original book. It's the it's the giant rat option that was added there. Um, and when at least when Gary wrote stats for normal rats in uh, Monster Manual two, they are AC seven, they're move fifteen, and they are uh, hit points one. Let me, uh, let me one before. Before we run out of time, because there's so much, there's so much with vampires that I feel like what the major piece that we haven't uh, covered here is, uh, and let me, uh, oh. let me jump back to our, jump back to our AD and D entry here, uh, is what happens when someone's slain by a vampire, right? I was, I'm so, I wanted to point that out myself. Yeah. I'm glad you're yeah. bringing that up because I feel like that's a really <laughs> essential, essential paragraph here, which is the right. second to last right. paragraph. I mean, it's there's something I just love about the sort of uh, pyramid scheme that is vampirism, and <laughs> uh, you know, and it always like I feel like that always comes. It's come up anytime I've had vampires in my games that uh, you know inevitably they kill the vampire, and the question is, well, who is that vampire's master, and how how high up do we have to climb the chain to get to okay, the yep, master? Yeah, yep, yep, interesting. Top of the pyramid. Uh, but here, uh, ADD tells us any human or humanoid drained of all life energy by a vampire becomes an appropriately strength vampire under the control of its slayer. Its transformation takes one day after the creature is buried, but if and only if the creature is buried. So they're going to be buried. Interesting. Uh, you ever had that happen in a game? I have not. I have not. Um, 
So that's that, that's really interesting. That's not a, that's that is absolutely not a thing that I've paid a lot of. So in in original D anD D, it just says men types killed by vampires become vampires under the control of the one who made them. So um, that is that's a little that's a one liner right at the end that I have not I have not dug into a whole lot. That's interesting. There's a there's another trope that I use in Ten Dead Rats that exists in Warhammer Fantasy and it exists in sort of some modern shows like um, like what we do in the shadows, which is that it's more than just draining them with the bite, but then also that the victim has to drink a little of the vampire's blood in return to actually become a true vampire. Okay, and often okay. there's there's a middle ground of like, well, you got completely drained and you didn't get the kiss, as they call it. Uh, maybe this is an anricism. I bet it is. Um, where now you're a thrall and you're like a, a different kind of undead. Uh, uh, you know, not not quite a real full on vampire yep, yep. in your yep. own right, but uh, you know, a, and a, that shows a up vampire. In, uh, yep, and that shows up in uh, later editions of D anD D has a vampire spawn monster type, which is separate from vampires, which is exactly what you're talking yep. about yep. right there. And I we see that in, in, in is that in fifth? In fifth, we get uh, uh, that uh, the target dies if the, it's talking about um, uh, your hit point maximum going down. Uh, is one of the things that happens when you get bit by a vampire. Um, target dies of this effect reduces its hit point maximum to zero. A humanoid slain in this way and then buried in the ground rises the following night as a vampire spawn under the vampire's control. Uh, so the idea there being, you know, so it's interesting. It still, still, still needs to be buried, uh, but they're like tying the under the control to this idea of you're not a full fledged vampire. You're not autonomous. Gotcha. I guess you're, you're, you're. you're which is confusing, I guess. I don't know. Like, like I, I'm surely there are games where players are like, "But how? How do I become a vampire? I want to be. I want to be a real vampire." Yeah. How do I do yeah. that? I feel like you know it, this is similar to like a lot of um, pulp um, or pop cultural things around undead and how do you become them? It's interesting how that gets flattened out in D and D to you gotta die. So <laughs> a, a similar thing that I wrestle with, frankly is the trope of what D&D calls ghouls, but a lot of movies call zombies or walking dead, right? How you get bitten and then you get a fever and you transform into a ghoul or zombie without actually being like buried. And that's not, that's, that, that's a thing that got ironed out at D&D is you got to die first, then you become the undead later on. And I do feel like that removes a little bit of the horror of the, the middle ground transformation happening. But anytime I try to think about possibly uh, house ruling, you get bet by a ghoul and then you turn into a ghoul later, that seems really, really punishing um, hmm. for a player that might not know that's coming. So I haven't, I haven't done that yet, but I'm always, I'm always on, the, on, the, on the cusp of it, frankly. So the vampire bit is another interesting bit of like, I kind of wish that this like exchange blood and you're still alive and you transform i kind of that's in some ways more compelling yeah but i like it i like it yeah. and it's, it's much more intentional right the vamp it, like because obviously the, the question i think that comes up is like well vampires got to feed right so why why isn't the world right. just popular with t thousands and millions of vampires if every right. night vampires are out feeding on other on other people or, or as ash uh, is doing the math right now why wouldn't the entire world be converted in 34 days there you go there you go Thank you for that exponential um, calculation. <laughs> uh, I want to point out that in um, Night's Dark Masters, which is the Warhammer 2nd edition uh, vampire book, um, 
there's and I, and I can't remember what period this comes out. It's got to be early two thousands. I'm guessing this book came out. Um, uh, we don't get to the concept of players as vampires until page one thirty, and and there's a good four chapters at the beginning of this about why it's actually a bad idea, and and then okay. it just goes. Yeah. It just okay. it, it talks about how. Uh, it says the rules in the previous chapters may appear to discourage the idea of having players take on vampire characters. This is entirely deliberate. And okay. then it goes on to give these reasons of like, uh, first of all, Warhammer Fantasy is not a great game when your players are super high powered and have all these crazy abilities. Um, secondly, vampires are not a great protagonist. They're horrific, evil, selfish, amoral creatures. Yeah, it doesn't make a compelling story. And then finally, they're like great villains. So why would you why would you ruin that? <laughs> why would you give up on having this drama of a of a vampire villain to to play play as vampires? It's just fascinating that like you know. And then and then of course then of course they they go on to like try to give you like okay, well here are some ideas how you might how you might have players as vampires, but they really strongly discourage it. Really it's like, interesting. Now, in that era, doesn't doesn't that have to be a direct response to Ma to Vampire the Masquerade? I mean, so that is really? isn't that like around vampires like height in popularity? And that seems that sounds to me like, know, like a direct rebuttal. Um, so I'm looking it up. Uh, it came out in 2007, so it is slightly. Okay. I always okay. I had the okay. impression yeah. Yeah, it's a good ten years later, right? Of okay. of uh, this versus versus Vampire the Masquerade. So I don't think it's gotcha. like an obvious dig against Vampire the Masquerade. But I would I would think that um you know that it's a it's a pretty valid point about like just think of your AD, your AD and D game. Like how much does it screw up your game when one of your players becomes a vampire or becomes a lycanthrop or et cetera. Right. Like, right? Are, are, do you still have that player as a player at that point? I don't know. The, I mean, the, the 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 classic ruling would be they're out of the game. They're a bad NPC now. They're gone. Yeah, right. Um, right. And, right. And Don't anything, make a new any, right? Yeah, yeah. Any other option than that would be some kind of, I yeah. think, evolution from the from the original rule. I believe. Keep running it that way, I guess. Like that's, and it might be fun. You know, it's sort of similar to my story I told on the show. Uh, I can't remember if it was last week or a little earlier of my player character who had his face ripped off by pixies by evil pixies. Right. Right. right, so you get the idea of like, well, players here, they've got a new character, but ha ha ha, I still get to use your old character as a villain now. Take that. <laughs> um, I actually did that, and now that I'm thinking about it, I actually did that in a campaign. I had a campaign, my long, in fact, my long-running BX campaign had some vampires in it. Um, surprise, surprise. Actually, the more I think about it, the more I realize like vampires actually feature in a lot of my games. Hmm. That's interesting. Um, anyway, yeah, um, I see that there. There was a player who got attacked by a vampire at some point in this history, and then the player had to retire from the game. You know, life happens, he had to leave. And so I just took his character and I just transferred it. And I was just like, your character is now an NPC. You, know, like you, you became a vampire. And, and, uh, and then used, used his character in, in subsequent games, which was a lot of fun. And then I think, as I seem to recall, he came back at some point with a new character and it was just a little bit of fun about how his old character was traipsing around the countryside as a vampire now, great. under my control. As actually, so I, I guess I would, I would, I would encourage it. I think it's a, it's a great, it's a great method. It's a great thing to do. Oh yeah, turn oh, yeah. your, turn your I, player I, characters into, into villains. Why not? 
And kind of like we were talking about last week, I mean, that shift in perspective is among the creepiest things you can do of like this, this yeah. character used to be an ally controlled by a, a friend who's a player. And then when that twists around to like, oh, all of a sudden they're being controlled by the nasty DMs, um, that's yeah. among the creepiest uh, switches that you can do in role playing, actually. So that's, that's, a, that's yeah. a wonderful bit. Yeah. You know, one thing I, I wanted to point out, the funny thing is the the if I can, the the paragraph that you were pointing to in the monster manual, in the first edition monster manual there, it's a really rich paragraph because Paul, you were digging into the whole uh you know vampire master bit. That wasn't even the thing about that paragraph that I wanted to talk about. So oh, in, in, that, in that same second last last paragraph, the interesting thing to me is that it's the first place in D D where they suggest a monster having variable character levels. Because it says, huh, the, huh. the right, if a player character gets killed, they're going to come back with the same class levels that they had. Therefore, you could have a vampire thief. You could have a vampire cleric, etc. You could have a vampire lord or a vampire wizard. And in the uh, DM's guide that came out the next year, in the, the highest level of the dungeon encounter level, you've got vampires who are high priests, cleric level, yeah. I don't know, 10 to 14. You've got vampires that are high level wizards, level nine to 15 or something like that. And to my understanding, that's the first time in D&D where the thought popped in anybody's head of attaching arbitrary class levels to monsters was, was specifically with the vampires, you know, because A, they're the, they're the top level um, uh, master monster uh, B, they're pretty human-esque. You've got this situation of, like you were just talking about, of transforming your human PCs into vampires. And, of course, by the time of, like, third edition, it just became, well, you can just add any class levels you want to anything, anytime you want. But yeah, yeah. that the separation between character class and monster was kind of a hard <laughs> separation until that paragraph right there. Fascinating. Fascinating. Thank I had no idea that was that. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Yeah, I was looking at that like a, like a couple of months ago of was, is there any prior um, um, text in D&D saying that a monster can have uh, arbitrary class levels? And I don't think anybody could find any before that paragraph. Hmm. All right. Yep. Then, then we're almost out of time, and we've done a Dang whole it. episode on vampires and haven't even mentioned Ravenloft. I feel like... <laughs> <laughs> How did that happen? <laughs> um, I guess we're gonna have to have save you played Ravenloft. Ravenloft? Another... Have you played Ravenloft, I, Paul? I have. I've run Ravenloft. I've yeah. run late Ravenloft, but it was a long time ago. Back in okay. back in my high school days, uh, I ran some Ravenloft. Um, though I will admit that we didn't play enough sessions of it that they never even got close to Strahd. That right. was just right. didn't even come up. Gotcha. So. Uh, anytime anybody says that, yeah, I have not, but I, you know, I've read it, and anytime someone says Ravenloft, the first thing that pops into my head is that amazing 3D isometric uh, portrayal of the castle. And I, and you know, I wonder, is it playable? I haven't, I haven't run it as a DM, so I don't know if that's confusing. We ought to, we need to table that, Paul. Now yeah, we're doing the whole thing all we'll, over we'll, again. We'll, we'll, we'll table we'll it for we'll, Ravenloft. There you go. I'm going to have a whole episode on Ravenloft, I guess. I'm going to say one other thing before we leave about original yeah. D&D vampires, and I'm just looking at the original Matrix in yeah. the little brown book, uh, volume volume two there. And do I have my finger in the right place there? Uh, 
So there's the, yeah, there's the slice of all the undead in uh, the original D&D Little Brown books. And they're all in one place on the table and yeah. it ends with vampires there. And you notice that the first column is the number appearing. And so for mm -hmm. vampires, you run into a random batch of vampires and the note says that's mostly for the wilderness and undead show up uh, pretty predominantly in swamps and cities, actually. You notice that when you roll up a random vampire um, encounter, you get one to six of them. Roll a die. You don't get one <laughs> vampire, right? You probably yeah. get three or four, if not five or six. So here, here are friends, uh, knowing that vampires are the most dangerous thing in the game, why don't you have half a dozen of them? You're welcome. <laughs> That's pretty horrific. <laughs> Jeez. Jeez. All right. All right. That's how that worked. So you can see why I, put, see, I feel like when it said they are the most fear of the undead, I think I understand why. That's nasty. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I mean. Really nasty. And they show up in cities. That's a random city encounter right there. <laughs> random city. Six vampires. Six vampires. <sighs> Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's trouble. That's trouble. All right, that's uh, <laughs> that is definitely our time. Uh, thank you, uh, folks, for tuning in. If you have any thoughts on vampires in D and D stuff that we missed, we didn't cover. Uh, questions about or comments about a potential for a future Ravenloft episode or other spinoff uh, episodes about vampires, uh, drop us drop us a note in the comments. We'd love to hear from you. We definitely do. Uh, if you're new to the show, remember that you can like, follow, and subscribe to us, The Wandering DMs, on YouTube and Twitch and Twitter and Facebook and also GitHub. And we do have the handle Wandering DMs on all of those sites, so please look for us there. If you prefer to listen to our shows in audio-only podcast format, you can find them on our website at wanderingdms.com. Uh, likewise, you can find them on various carriers such as Google Play, uh, or sorry, Google Podcasts, uh, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, um, if you're listening to us for, on one of those sites, please take a moment to rate and review us there. That helps other folks find our show, and we really appreciate it. We really do. And of course, enormous thanks to our patrons who support our show. And if you'd like to join them, please do visit patreon.com slash wanderingdms. You'll see several different tiers, including discounts on merch that we're adding to shortly, access to a private Discord server, monthly behind-the-scenes videos, polls, and surveys, and after-party chat that we'll be having uh, every Sunday in about uh, 10 minutes today, as a matter of fact. Uh, don't forget that uh, there's if you want more action with Count Orlock, please tune in to Paul's 10 Dead Rats campaign uh, that'll be happening more Monday night, tomorrow night, 8 p.m. Uh, Eastern time. We should uh, tentatively have a new uh, Book of War uh, this coming Saturday. We've been off for a couple weeks for that. But don't forget that we are live every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern time. So we hope you'll join us again next week for another thought-provoking discussion. We'll see you then.